Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast, your podcast for everything Smart Cities action and investment and outcomes. And my name is Adam Beck, your host of the Chronicles. Um, my day job is the Executive Director at the Smart Cities Council here in Australia and New Zealand, and delighted to bring you yet another interview in our series uh, of, of guest interviews for the PropTech project. For those that have been listening in, we've been unpacking the idea and the concept of PropTech, uh, but also sort of exploring in a little bit more detail the idea of PropTech for purpose. And for this episode, uh, I have a fantastic guest who I've known for quite some time, Jessica Christensen-Franks. Good morning and welcome to the Smart Cities Chronicles. Good morning, Adam. Thanks for having me. That's a pleasure. Um, Jess, for those that, that may not know you, our listeners are sort of scattered all over the world. Could you tell us who you are and what you do? Sure, Adam. So, so I would have answered this question differently about three years ago before I discovered the world of startups. So previously, I was an urban designer and a trained uh, landscape architect originating from Brisbane. And I did that for about 15 years working around the world as a consultant largely and also for government. Uh, but now I'm the co-founder and CEO of a data analytics startup based in Melbourne uh, called Neighbourlytics. And we create data to measure uh, the, the well-being and social connectedness of neighbourhoods. So Jess, what I'm hearing there is you've gone from one of the most analogue of analogue worlds and professions like, <laughs> like landscape architecture and placemaking and really granular work to sort of build energy and excitement and opportunity within communities to being, to being a tech startup. What a, what, what a transformation. That's right. Well, I, I was um, at the very beginning of my career still uh, photocopying and cutting, cutting out images to glue together onto image boards as a way of presenting. So yeah, the industry certainly moved along a lot since then. So um, share with our listeners and, and tell me about the, the transition and pivot. Um, when did it happen and why did it happen? Sure. So it's, it's as fascinating to me as it is to anyone else because it's the last thing I ever thought I would be doing. And uh, when I became a landscape architect, I came into that world because uh, for me, urban problems are really interesting. Urban, urban systems are really complicated and I've always been really fascinated by um, all the different disciplines that work in the urban space. Of course, architects and town planners, designers are one side of it, but also economists and social planners and all of these other uh, you know, transport planners coming together to solve really interesting problems. So I've been doing working on problems like that through my career as a consultant uh, and, and had become aware of the smart cities movement and been fascinated by that as an extra layer of how technology can, can help us solve problems, but certainly never thought of myself as someone who'd be a player in that, perhaps a consultant advising, but not someone who could actually use technology to solve problems myself. And it, it came about almost in an accidental way where um, my business partner and I were running another business together, a consultancy, uh, and we were focusing really heavily on how we could productize our consulting services. And, and a real barrier to scale with any type of business is consulting because when you're going out and solving bespoke problems all the time, it's not a very efficient way to work uh, and you can only work one-to-one one -one with clients. And we could see that our clients had really significant problems and, and if we could only grow the team as fast as we possibly could, then we might be able to scale and solve those problems. But as a consultancy, that's really, really hard. So we were looking without technology first at ways that we could systematize our consulting work so that we could have more reach as a business. 
uh, and then we had the opportunity to, to pitch in a, in a startup pitching competition without really knowing what that was, uh, but we knew technology had to be a way to help us achieve the scale that we had ambitions of and we'd already been playing around with the, um, with the systems to create automation. Uh, and then, you know, long and behold, we won, won the competition it, um, and got a spot into the first She Starts program uh, run by Blue Chili Group in Sydney and, and then we're thrown into the world of startups and that's how Neighbourlytics was born, going through this really high-intensity accelerator process where our, our idea was pulled apart, put back together about 17 times uh, and um, an MVP came out of that process uh, and then we also uh, you know, fin finished the six months with with a... Um, have beta in in the industry, and that was about eighteen months ago. So we've been growing very very quickly since then. Jess, let me just get straight to the point and ask this question: um, Are you in the world of prop tech? <laughs> I believe so. Uh, it's a funny it's a funny one because the word didn't exist uh, eighteen months ago. Certainly, maybe even twelve months ago. So I, I was only just getting my head around being in the world of technology at all. Um, but certainly prop tech is, is a massive um, trend in the industry at the moment and everyone's talking about it. So, yeah, absolutely. I'll, t I'll take that title. Um, well, let's unpack that a little bit then. Um, and just given your quick analysis of timelines there, um, you know, I might be so bold as to say that Neighbourlytics kind of is one of the first prop tech startups in Australia. What's your definition of prop tech? Yeah, well, well, my definition of any of the abridged tech names, FinTech, EdTech, all these are about really innovative technologies disrupting an industry or bringing a new, I mean, disruption is such a dirty word, you know, to some people, but bringing a new problem-solving approach to a whole industry in a way that shakes it up. And we saw that very much so in fintech with the financial services industry and all the benefits that different sorts of technology brings. PropTech's an interesting one, though, because it existed for a long time under the name Realtech, as in real estate technology, which is actually quite a different beast in my eyes and, and now has become sometimes mashed together with PropTech in some people's definition. So real estate technology often has a has an overlap with fintech. It's, it's often about house purchasing or mortgages or, or crowdfunded, you know, property investments or all those sorts of things. Or, of course, you know, one of Australia's darling technology businesses, realestate.com and how they, um, ha, you know, businesses such as that, which have you know, revolutionised the way we as home purchasers purchase houses. Now, PropTech is, is different again, and, and I think those two things should be sort of thought of as quite separate. Um, so we're not working in the real estate market. Our data is used by property developers, by local governments, by consultants to help them understand what's going on in the city so that they can do their city delivery and, and, and creation work better. But just technology has been disrupting property for decades, you know, building information modelling, T5 high efficient lighting, cogeneration systems. Help me, help me sort of understand the differentiation or not between prop tech and property technology. Look, <laughs> Uh, I, wait, how long have we got, Adam? I, mean, yes. I, think, I, would, I would argue that technology hasn't been disrupting property for years. I think if you look at other industries, and there's lots of stats about this as well, but other industries like financial services and the medical field, 
you know, they, they have completely changed the way they deliver services and, and, and also the way businesses are structured based on technology. I think in property, we've been using uh, technology as a crutch or an aid to, to work faster or certainly in the sustainability movement to become more efficient, but we're yet to see the really transformational industry shift that's come with some of those other industries when technologies come in. So perhaps that's the difference is technology in property is when we're using it as a tool or a crutch to do business as usual better, but perhaps the prop tech movement shows, it signals the beginning of that, that real game changing shift in the industry. If we embrace it and we really start to, um, you know, take up everything, you know, use it for all its potential. Okay. Okay. Now that that's sort of makes sense. Whether I agree with you is another thing, but <laughs> no, no, that that's good. So, so tell me, here's another one: is um, is prop tech just a startup agenda? I, I wonder this a lot myself, since I didn't know what a startup was eighteen months ago, and and I say that tongue in cheek, but I also say that very earnestly because. Uh, what's good about a start a startup agenda is that it, it asks the rest of the property sector to pay attention to what startups are doing. And the first thing that struck me when I came from the world of property into the world of startups is that the property world at the time didn't know that startups existed and startups didn't know that the property world existed. So I was in a room with a lot of often real tech startups talking about the property sector, none of whom had ever met any of the big property developers and, and certainly the, the property world I'd come from weren't looking for, for innovation from startups. Now that made my job a lot harder when I came onto the scene because we were uh, having to try and explain, even though we were a two-person team, we were trying to get taken seriously by the, by the you know, heads of the big property companies and um, you know, CEOs at local governments and differentiate ourselves as being, we're not just a small business, sure we're a small business, but we're not, not going to stay that way, we're poised to scale. Uh, and that was a difficult time for us. It was hard to get uh, credibility in that context. Now, I think the prop tech movement brings with it a legitimacy and an excitement, perhaps too much buzz sometimes and, and a lot of um, evangelism about startups. Um, but I think that's a good thing because it's making the industry take notice. So let me, let me sort of paint a, a, a sort of a scenario here mm. and I'd like to get your reactions to it. Um, so let's say you're at sort of a, a, a prop tech meetup, um, you know, a room full of, you know, sort of one, two person, three person startup entrepreneurs that are, you know, sort of sitting in cafes, coding away, trying to create the next big sort of solution. Um, so the room is full of prop tech startups and in walks, you know, a big development company who has been involved in property technology kind of for years and years and years. I mean, does, does that individual walking into the room fit the, the kind of agenda? I mean, give me a sense of who's in and who's not in the startup, the, the prop tech startup club. I mean, can, is it open to anyone? I mean, I, I, I did an interview with Paul Bailey from Lend Lease a couple of weeks ago for this, this prop tech project series. And, you know, Lend-Lease has been innovating and disrupting mm. with, in technology for mm. decades, you know. And, you know, Paul was, was very clear that, you know, the PropTech agenda is about property technology and using technology, you know, for advancing outcomes in, in the property sector. But you, 
you've kind of really differentiated in your last response mm. there around it's not about doing business as usual better it's around sort of more full-on disruption or, or sort of, you know, step change kind of thing. I mean, mm. are, are there clubs forming around this and, you know, there's, there's a particular persona or... Yeah, or just, I, I think there are them? clubs. Yeah, Adam, I think there are clubs forming around it, but I think that's problematic, um, specifically because of the scenario you just, you just highlighted. If someone who's not a startup in a hoodie, which is not me, to be honest... Um, walks into the room, are they part of it? Now, I see that that's the problem with the startup world in general is often it can be, because there's so much hype around it, it can be a whole lot of people in a, in a funky co-working space solving problems in hoodies together without any connection to the actual industry they're solving problems for. And that's the club or the, the meet-up mentality often. Uh, now, we're not part of that. We don't, we don't work in a co-working space with other startups. We work with other community engagement businesses because that's, that's the problem space we're in. So for us, it's important to be co-located with other businesses solving the same problem as us rather than just other businesses using technology. So I think that, um, yeah, there certainly is a lot of hype and that's good because it opens the door for startups. But all, but all good startups will, will see that property developer walking into the room as the client and see that they're, they're very much an important part of the ecosystem, but the prop tech side of it is just is just the kind of category given to the startups so that they can enter the industry, and it should stop there. I don't think it's it's helpful to petition off when something's a startup and, and when it's not. Another example of that is at a lot of the, the startup conferences or panels, a lot of the bigger technology companies are taking a startup approach to new products and services and calling themselves startups and coming along to some of those things. Now, some people, purists, might say, well, they're not startups. If you're not eating ramen noodles, you're not a startup. But, but, <laughs> but also, you know, they are a meaningful part of, of the ecosystem as well and should be considered part of, you know, part of the whole movement that is, you know, this, this prop tech thing. Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? Some of those, some of those sort of um, working methodologies and approaches, you know, like like sort of lean working and things like that, actually came from the mega giant, you know, technology companies, and yeah, yeah. Auto, auto companies over the years. Yeah, yeah. it's it's fascinating. I, I think if I can just add something else to that, Adam, I, I think the biggest utility for me, because I've been part of this conversation, as people have said, "What's a startup? What does that mean?" Right through to now, naming, you know, in a, in twelve months later, now seeing so much talk about prop tech in in our industry. For me, the biggest utility of the word is to be able to walk into a room of people and say, look what's happened to financial services with fintech and name some examples of, of, the, of the apps and technologies that have even just you know, your mobile banking and, and how that's changed everybody's lives um, on, on your phone uh, and then let people think about what could happen to the property sector if we allowed that type of innovation. I think that's, that, for me, that's the real utility of the word. Yeah. Okay. Um, can we just sort of step back for a minute um, out of your sort of world um, in, individually with Neighbourlytics? I want to I want to sort of explore a couple of more broader industry mm. industry trends here. Um, I, um, I I I'm kind of bundling together, and and a couple of others have said this to me that that prop tech kind of is a, a more broader umbrella concept for some of the other sort of you know blank tech concepts to fit under so plan tech place tech con tech um i'd like to talk to you a little bit about place tech and plan tech i know that kind of that's been a a world you know urban planning and 
uh, urban design and placemaking has been, you know, very close to, to your heart for, for quite some time and still is. Um, can you can you sort of give me something, reaction, comments when I use the word plan tech and place tech, um, <laughs> your, your, your sort of views and ideas and, and perception, but also the connection or not with prop tech? Yeah. Um, I... You know, similar to what I was saying before, I don't think it's helpful if they're seen as clubs or elite groups uh, that are, you know, evangelising startups. I don't think that's helpful. Um, so I don't necessarily respond well to a spin-off of all these other different words related to tech uh, when actually what's happening in the world is tech is part of everything, you know. So we'll never end with all the words and industries that are being disrupted if we try and get, get too cute with it. But at the same time, if we see, uh, if we see that those ideas as new realms that technology is solving problems in and that idea is about opening the door to the customer, I think that's really helpful because what would be a mistake is if prop tech, kind of like real tech, real estate technology was originally around all of the different technology that could affect real estate and it became mostly about selling houses. Uh, and, the, and that essentially crowded out the other types of innovations. Now, perhaps that could happen with prop tech if, if a lot of the technologies perhaps are around augmented reality and, and things like this, then anything that's more planning or civic related might feel crowded out or what might happen is the person sitting at local government working in statutory planning might not feel like that type of technology relates to them in their job. But then when they hear about plan tech, that suddenly feels might feel like an invitation to be part of it or there might be something there for them. So for that, for that purpose, I see utility, but I'd worry if we just started coming up with all of these cute terms and everyone had their own conference when actually we're still a whole industry with, very, with lots of cross-cutting problems and should be operating that way. So are you saying it's okay to have the, the, the agenda of prop tech but not plan tech or place tech? Well, it, I, I would, I guess so. I think if prop tech was broad enough to include those subcategories, that's, that's better. Do you, think it is? Do you think it is? I want it to be. I'm trying to yeah. make it. You know, in many ways, we're plan tech, but yeah, we're yeah. calling ourselves prop tech. Yeah, okay. Okay, no, no that, that, that's good. That's good. Um, just on some key trends at the moment around prop tech and between you and I and this conversation, prop tech being that broader term that also fits some sort of place and plan tech underneath it. What, 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 what are sort of some, some, some trends and observations you're making more broadly around the industry, you know, where things are going, exciting stuff that you see? Yeah, I think firstly, the most exciting thing for me is that the property industry is noticing technology, I think. And, and I, and I say that, um, with so much enthusiasm because when I discovered the startup world and the mindset behind agile, fail fast thinking, um, it blew my mind at how quickly we can solve really complex problems and how, how much innovation we can bring to our existing processes. And I think the whole industry needs to be thinking that way. And so I'm really excited to see that that's happening and that that's happening so quickly. I was also seeing that a lot of really great planning and property minds were leaving uh, the property sector and going to technology and working over there instead. And I think we risk brain drain if we don't try to keep those people in our industry. And so that's, that's really exciting for me. But the other layer on top of that, which, which isn't um, confined to property, but is absolutely um, 
uh, a big a big trend in property and a big movement in property at the moment is something you touched on before, Adam. It is um, technology for purpose, mm. and that's something that we're seeing very very clearly through you know whether it, whether it's the millennial generation now being a major player in the workforce, uh, whether it's the accessibility of technology, so now it can solve um, for very low cost or no cost problems that previously needed really significant um, financial reward to bother solving. You know, that's not the case anymore with technology. Uh, but certainly my last business and now, now Neighbourlytics, we have a very, very strong purpose behind the business and, and we are not alone on that front. You know, when I speak on panels, at least half of the other panellists at these big tech conferences have a very strong purpose-driven agenda, which is essential, uh, you know, to, to drive founders to do the hard work that it takes to create a startup and, and make it work. But it's also a really important part of getting the best talent. So that's what staff are looking for. And if you want to hire the best people, which is tough in the Australian tech market, having a really dis, um, uh, imp uh, big, ambitious, purpose-driven goal is a great way to do that too. So that's why we're seeing those businesses really succeed quite quickly as well. So let, let's sort of go a little bit further with the idea of PropTech for Purpose. Um, I, uh, well, you know, this is, this is a hard question um, and I apologise in advance, but uh, are you seeing PropTech, are you seeing PropTech work, PropTech startups um, that might be great solutions but not necessarily deeply rooted in, in sort of purpose? And when I use the word purpose for the purposes of this conversation, I'm talking sort of, you know, grounded in sort of some sort of a, a sustainability agenda, you know, mm. so social, social well-being, you know, sustainable development goals, you know, give me a sense of, again, this is an unfair question, but, but what's your assessment on, you know, how much of this prop tech agenda is for purpose versus for something else, if that makes sense? Yeah, I... Th oh. Oh, and we're being recorded right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's just between you and me. <laughs> you want me to be honest? <laughs> um, so I think uh, 12 months ago, it would have been 90% for profit rather than purpose. But now that the interesting problem-solving people from property are using technology to solve problems like me, you know, I've had a, a, a big problem in my own career that I wanted solving with data. And so now, and it's, a, you know, it's about building stronger communities. And so therefore technology is allowing me to do what I've always wanted to do my whole career. So now that the property people are joining the technology sector, it's no longer just about tech solving tech problems. It's actually much more purpose-driven. So I, I'd like to think it's more 50-50 now, but I have very little patience for boring problems that are just another mapping platform that's not doing anything interesting. So uh, perhaps I don't surround myself with people like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair, fair enough. And, and look, part of, um, part of the, the reason, you know, we're, we're sort of doing this prop tech project is to, um, to, to try and determine, you know, some, some greater opportunities for the idea of prop tech for purpose mm -hmm. and, you know, th this comes from um, from a place uh, of um, you know the, the, the green building movement for the last yeah. tw twenty years. Yeah. You know, really um, fundamentally transforming the way yeah. you know property is 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 planned, designed, built, operated. Um, we've had 
property companies all over the world embrace the agenda of sustainable property, the you know the greater well-being of its uh, of its of its sort of tenants um, and occupants. Um, so the property sector is no stranger to the idea of you know purpose and transformation for purpose. Um, I, uh, I I read an, um, a, a report out of the UK uh, late last year, I think it was, which was showing sort of where the VC um, money was going across the life cycle of property, you know, site acquisition, um, property planning, design, construction, leasing, uh, you know, operation maintenance, etc. And, you know, a, a lot of the money by far, and this was, of course, in the UK, a lot of money, VC money going into, you know, faster leasing apps and those kind of solutions that maybe you indicated before, which, you know, certainly help both, you know, the startup and or the, the client, the property sector sort of profit, uh, which of course is an important driver for, for making things happen as well. But I, I was, I was kind of really, um, uh, really shocked that there was still very little in that sort of planning design construction phase, because I don't know, for me being in the property sector for, for so long, um, you know, if you don't embed it early on, it's always, Mm. More, more difficult, challenging, and more expensive to try and make mm. things better later. And um, are those are those stats, Adam? Are they about dollars invested or or number of deals? No, that's dollars. That's VC. Because yeah. probably what's happening there is just that the the plan tech, civ tech, whatever else we're calling it, um, is just less mature, and so the size of the funding we're, we're not at Series C yet. So mm. it'll take mm. another four or five years before we're there. Whereas real tech is there. So, so the, the, the amounts of money they're raising are larger. It doesn't necessarily mean there's more of those businesses around though. Yeah, okay. No, that, no that's good. And, and they're the type of kind of issues that I'm trying to unpack. Mm. Um, I, I, I want to sort of narrow in, um, narrow in on some sort of big problems that are worthy of solving and, and solving <laughs> swiftly, I think. And... Um, you know, I, I, of course, gravitate towards the climate crisis and, you know, the stats are pretty, uh, you know, are pretty transparent there in terms of the property sector is, you know, one of, in some nations, the largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the property sector um, for me is, is certainly a, a, a platform for total transformation um, because of the opportunity we have in, in you know, really crunching our, our carbon footprint. Um, what, what do you think in the prop tech space, what do you think is the biggest opportunity? Now, um, don't take my sort of climate um, issue as, as, as one that you need to align with, but, but more broadly, what do you think are potentially the biggest, wickedest, problems around the, the the broader property sector that you think a we need to solve and we need to solve quickly yeah i i um am very passionate and excited about the ability to solve a lot of the the social problems that we have in our cities and i think that these are, um, are massive issues uh, loneliness is as likely to kill you as smoking and heart disease 
uh, you know, there's all these urban safety issues that, that come with, um, with poor social quality in, in our urban environments, women's safety in public spaces, public transport use, all of these different things. Uh, and, you know, right through to mental wellbeing, suicide, physical health, obesity, these are all related to our neighbourhood design, the quality of our property um, of what we deliver and and that there's lots of different ways technology is helping in this space some of them aren't necessarily classic prop tech solutions they're more about social networking and access to information but they're massively improving the quality of life in cities and therefore people's ability to participate in the economy and all of those other things um, benefits that happen when we get it right so that's that's the space i'm particularly interested in and that of course has overlaps with the environment as well and with public open space and and all of those things too but certainly getting those social issues right uh, if we don't do that now we're facing them in australia you know we've got some of the best urban spaces in the world think about what's going to be happening in in, in asia you know where where most of the urban growth will be taking place over the next 30 years and, and a lot of people moving out of rural and peri, uh, rural and peri-urban areas into much higher density urban areas and they're going to be needing these solutions and this you know, best practice which we can potentially you know develop in Australia and the US and, and the more mature economies. Uh, so if those social issues to you are sort of you know some of the biggest you know opportunities where, where PropTech can help the second part to my question then is sort of you know, what are the biggest gaps currently? If you were to sort of pick maybe a couple of other areas, not the social ones you've spoken of, are there any, are there any other um, significant gaps currently in the prop tech world that we're, we're not plugging, but we should be? Oh, um, startup founders aren't very good at looking beyond their own zone. <laughs> right. <laughs> so busy solving our own, our own problem. But uh, I, I, I see um, there's a lot of excitement in the property sector around analytics, but there's almost no good data to speak of. And I find that really alarming. Uh, and so that that's certainly a... Um, an area that I, I hope there is a lot more attention on and more startups coming into the data space to create great data about cities. I think that we can't, we can't make any good decisions unless we have that. If we keep relying on just cuter graphs of government census data, we're not going to get anywhere faster, for example. So, okay, work with me on this, on, on a hypothetical. <laughs> um, so I'm a, I'm a startup uh, or I think I want to be a startup um, in prop tech. Um, don't I, in, in terms of, um, in terms of sort of kickstarting my journey, you know, I've got an appetite for disruption. I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I want to move into prop tech. Um, your, your comment just earlier, are you saying that startups don't sit down and open up the sustainable development goals and have a look at, what are the fundamental issues that need solving and then create their startup out of that? Are you saying that that's not the formula? Well, that, that's what was not happening mm -hmm. uh, 18 months ago. What was happening 18 months ago? And I cannot tell you how many meetups I've been to where someone's come up to me afterwards after I've spoken about the property sector and said, and this, this exact thing has happened to me maybe eight times, uh, oh, I've, I've developed this great app for parking and I want help getting it into local councils. I've never spoken to a property developer. I've never spoken to a local council, but I've developed this full app. 
So what has been happening historically, and I'm being perhaps unnecessarily harsh, but technology people have come up with acute tech problem, tech solution to a problem that they've then shopped around for. Mm. And then the big things like parking and whatever else it might be um, that we've seen a hundred times before are the ones that get the attention because they're the urban problems that they face. Now what the property sector people are now doing now that they're seeing technology as an opportunity is looking at the SDGs, is looking at, you know, the Green Building Council objectives, how to to achieve Green Star, are looking at, you know, all of the planning issues that arise, you know, based on sea level rise and all these other things and then saying, okay, how can technology help us do that? So you're seeing amazing waves of really interesting um, game-changing ideas coming through the property-focused accelerators in the last 12 months. And that's that they're not getting that big funding yet, but they will be. And if you look at those graphs in another three, four, five years, I, I think you'll see the funding allocation shift towards those sort of ideas because that's coming, that's happening now. And it'll be, you know, those ideas are piloting now and will be you know, in market over the next you know, 6, 12, 18 months. Well, that's certainly... Um a good sign and um i'm glad to, i'm glad to hear that it it does it does sort of prompt me to ask the question to myself then and by default you wouldn't the best prop tech startup originate from within a property company that know how the property sector and the property world works yeah, I think I think the best startups would originate from people that have worked practically on solving those problems another way or faced with those problems. Mm. I think startup type innovation is very difficult in existing organisations. Uh, so if the if the question is can they stay inside those big organisations? Yes, and it's happened, but I think it's a lot harder. Uh, and I was faced with that when we started. We had another business, and we wanted it, them to be, you know, part of the same story. Um, but now, in hindsight, I can see we couldn't have achieved what we've achieved now while still being tethered to another business. because yeah. you don't know where the, where the problem solving is going to take you, and if you're constrained by an existing corporate um, vision and identity, you're not going to reach the potential that's possible. Mm, okay. Um... Can I pivot back to yourself and and Neighbor Linux? Um, you know, fair chunk of your career in in consulting, in in you know everything around planning and urban design and urban development and and the, and the like. Your your sort of eighteen months or so in the startup world. Can you share with me what you've learned along the way? I mean, you know, you, you're you're not sort of fresh out of college and you know straight into sort of creating a startup you know you'd been around the block a couple of times before you know entering the startup world <laughs> what, what what have you learned uh i i've learned that the startup mindset is incredibly powerful that it's a business model that encourages and is built for scale and is and for me that means built for impact so we'd been looking at how to grow the consulting business and we couldn't grow up fast enough so we couldn't have the impact we wanted to have so that has been hugely exciting to now be part of a world of people who are intentionally challenging the status quo and everything that you thought you knew about something why is it that way let's test it let's prove it and then let's move on it and that fast-paced problem-solving um, world 
it just takes my breath away every day and I'm ruined now. I could never go and work. (laughs) You're ruined. (laughs) I'm afraid. Um, So that, that's really, really exciting. And the other part to that, and I, and I say this all the time, but I'm going to say it again because it answers the question is, you know, as a consultant, I'd been trained to, to, to blue sky think, to, to big picture, to, to get clients excited, to, to be a great salesperson. And, you know, that I've brought those skills into startup and that, that's how, we, you know, um, that's been part of our success is, is our background. My, my co-founder, Lucinda Hartley, and I have that background and, and we've brought that in. Um, but what I hadn't understood yet and, and what the startup world has taught me is that to be truly successful and, and truly scalable, you have to be the headache pill and not just the vitamin. So the vitamin is something that's good for you and something that people, everyone has vitamins in their cupboard, but do you remember to take them? Maybe not. You don't know if they're empty or how long they've been there for, but you know you need to take vitamins. If you create a startup that's just the vitamin, that's just good for someone, you know, you, you, you don't, you, um, you get boring fast. So they might buy mm-hmm. into your vision and your why, your purpose, but if you're just about that, people start to feel guilty about not doing it. But I feel if, like you're judging me now. <laughs> but, if, but if you're also the headache pill, if you can figure out how to be the thing that solves the pain point in that moment, you know, people have headache pills in their drawers, in their handbags, in the, you know, people often have that, that kind of pain relief on them. So if you can figure out how to be that, that's how you scale. And for me, that was a game-changing idea because I've had this, this passion for making better cities forever but if we just create an app that helps you measure whether cities are great or not you know people might download it once or they might be interested in it but they're not going to use it every day we need to figure out the the everyday pain point that getting that wrong creates and measure that and that's how we create the scalable business and being a consultant you don't think about that but certainly in the technology space that's what it's all about Mm. um sounds like you've learned a lot that's for sure um Jess, final question for uh, for today. Um, can you share with us what's uh, what's exciting you about 2019? Um, whether it be sort of uh, you know y- your current work, uh, any other pet projects, maybe some research, some trends. What, what what are you excited about for 2019 for for what's left in the year? Yeah, so much. So at Nabolytics, we've just closed a $1.2 million seed investment round. Uh, So we'll be growing our team really significantly over the next couple of months, which will enable us to move from our descriptive analytics product that we have now into a much more diagnostic and predictive tool where we'll be able to start looking at the state of Australian neighbourhoods. So how do the the neighbourhoods across our country and then outside the world start to um, stack up from a wellbeing perspective? How livable are they? What's actually going on in those places what does the local economy look like so we've been doing that on a project by project basis but now we've got the financial backing in the team to be able to do that across the country so it can be much more accessible to the industry so we're going to be really busy Mm -hmm. (laughs) but but yeah really really exciting time to be a a prop tech business in australia and we're you know really grabbing the bull by the horns this year and making it happen well, Jess, um, on behalf of sort of the property sector uh, in Australia, we, um, uh, we're delighted to have organisations like yours to help us, you know, essentially create the best places and cities for people. So congrats on the, congrats on the success uh, of, of Neighbourlytics and um, we'll be cheering for you throughout 2019 as you scale. Um, thanks, uh, thanks finally so much for joining us um, on this PropTech project series to help us explore this idea a little bit more. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Adam.
And for our listeners uh, who are not subscribing to the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast, you can do so. You can head over to Spotify or SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts. You can also head to our website, uh, smartcitieschronicles.com. We also love feedback. Uh, You can email us, chronicles at anz.smartcitiescouncil.com. Well, that's it for another episode of the PropTech Project. My name is Adam Beck, your host of the Chronicles. We hope you... Uh, Have a great week and until our next episode, keep well.